Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. In this episode we'll be speaking to Arnab Naskar, who's one of the co-founder of Stalker, Stalker.io. Stalker is a way of investing in new businesses or existing businesses, investing in companies that you believe in. It's built on the blockchain for more independency, transparency, and no middlemen. In this episode, we'll be talking about how Arnab founded Stalker and why, and also we'll be looking at one of their newest STO launches, Blockstream Mining. So Blockstream Mining is raising on Stalker, they're raising funds for the Blockstream Mining node. And this is a project in the Bitcoin mining industry, which is super interesting. It's uh, again run by Blockstream, which is a big and one of the oldest companies in the Bitcoin space. So I'm excited to hear more about both this investment opportunity in Blockstream mining and Stalker itself. So without further ado, welcome Arnab to Mastermind of the Fem. Uh, hi. Uh, this is Anab here. I am the co-founder and the business lead at Stalker. I am currently based in Berlin. And my background is I'm coming from the legal side, according to the Bitcoin rabbit hole back in 2015. And things started from there. Uh, started Stalker back in 2018 with the vision to really change the capital markets that currently work. Because you have seen in the payment side, we have a massive transition with the Bitcoin, with the stable coins and everything. But the capital market somehow got stuck. It didn't move for quite some years. And there is a significant opportunity there, how we can really address the current inefficiencies, the current problems of the capital market with the help of DHT, and we can take it to the next level. And that's what my company, Stockwell, is doing. And happy to be here. Excellent. Thank you very much. And just for those who might get lost with the terms, can you define capital markets and DLT? Okay. The capital market is uh, the market where you can actually get access to stocks or shares. Let's say, for example, uh, GameStop, uh, everybody is aware of right now, right? Uh, so you access those kind of stocks through Robinhood. So Robinhood is not just a platform, but it's just a gateway to capital markets. So you have a one side of the financial markets can be divided into the payment market or the capital markets. Capital markets is much more where you trade stocks, bonds, and those kind of things. And when I talk about capital markets on a DLT, I mean capital market instruments like stocks and bonds issued on a blockchain. Now, we all know that most of the digital stocks and bonds currently are already digitized. And that's what Robinhood and eToro and other comes into play. But when you buy a stocks or a bond from those platforms, you necessarily do not own those assets. What you get is a claim towards a broker who is holding through Robinhood or through eToro. Uh, but when you hold a security token that is a capital market instrument on a DLT, you own the real ownership. And that's where actually this marriage of capital market and DLT happens. All right. That sounds interesting. So let me pass on the mic to my dad, who's with us as always. And we'll get started with some questions to learn more about Stalker and also about STOs. Hello, Arnab. Welcome to our show. I'm Joseph. I'm 65 years old. Um, as you can imagine, people my age don't find it that easy to understand uh, all these intangibles and, you know, new terms, etc. But uh, we are very keen in, in getting more returns on our investments. And, the, and therefore, we are very interested to learn more 
about these new exciting uh, initiatives and products. Let's start with the name, um, Stoker. I try to understand maybe from where it was derived and uh, the conclusion was that probably it was linked to security token offerings, therefore STO comes from there. I also think that you are linking it to excitement when you say you're stoked. <laughs> and uh, there is also um, mentioned, you know, in it, the stock market in a way. Am I right in my conclusion? Uh, it's, it's perfect, Joseph. I, I think the reason why we chose this name because it brings the excitement of, uh, you know, stoking an interest in the capital market. You can also say it's a part of stocks that gives you return and also the STO. So we chose all this component and we found, okay, Stocker is the right name that uh, suits not only the mission that we are pursuing here, but it also somehow reflects our enthusiasm for that mission. Yeah. Great. Uh, it's good to hear that there are very enthusiastic people <laughs> behind all this. And you started in 2017 or 18, uh, right? So yeah, the idea started back in 2017, but all the legal entities and everything took in place in 2018. Our holding company actually was formed in 2017 because one of the main obstacles that we faced while creating Stocker was to find the right jurisdiction or the right country where this kind of product can be issued. And this took quite some time. So by the time we understood that Luxembourg can be the right place, uh, it was 2018 and then we established the entity. Uh, it's interesting to know that you are registered in Luxembourg. Why did you choose Luxembourg? Yeah, so the, one of the interesting thing what Luxembourg provides here, and a lot of people talk about, you know, Luxembourg as a tax haven or, you know, to get some tax benefit, which is not in our case, uh, you know, at the end of the day, right now, the tax benefits in all over Europe has decreased. The reason why we chose Luxembourg is because of very interesting corporate law. Under Luxembourgish law, you can, as an issuer of a company, you can manage your own investor register. And this is quite unique because Imagine if you have a company and you are allowed to manage your own investor register, you can manage it on a paper, you can manage it on an Excel spreadsheet, or you can manage it on a DLT or a blockchain. And that's where I think the reason why we really chose Luxembourg is because of the corporate law. And definitely one of the prime reasons is Luxembourg is one of the biggest market for the capital markets in Europe after UK and after Brexit, it's Luxembourg, right? So, so that's, I would say, one of the motivation also for us to choose Luxembourg as a jurisdiction. I see. And you also claim that uh, you are EU's pioneering digital investment marketplace for alternative assets. Um, therefore, were you the first ones, actually? We are actually one of the first ones to really provide a holistic support because we see a lot of uh, the players in the market of digital securities or security token. But most of them in the current market, they either provide just technology or just provide, you know, kind of a white level service uh, of KYC or payment or something. But in Europe, you, we have a vacuum of a service provider who provides all the pieces of the puzzle that you require for issuance of the digital securities. When I talk about all the pieces of the puzzle, I talk about the technology support. I talk about the regulatory understanding is how to issue those tokens. And the third is all the compliance, payment gateway, and those kind of things. And there is a huge vacuum for such services in Europe, uh, kind of you can call it end-to-end 360-degree support for the issuance of the financial assets. And Stocker is actually one of the first one to do it. And one of the, I would say, one of the only service provider at the moment 
please holistically provide all the support services under one roof. Okay. Therefore, let's be clear. Is uh, Stocker an actual uh, stock exchange? Can you see it like that? We are not a stock exchange. This is uh, interesting. I Like in the capital markets, you have a primary issuance player and you have a secondary market player. That means primary issuance means where most of the time you talk about investment bankers who structure an instrument and then it's get issued. You don't have that many primary marketplaces where the you know securities are issued. It's being maybe you know issued through JP Morgan. It may be issued through other kind of big uh, investment bankers. And Stocker actually takes the role of this primary issuer. That means we create this marketplace where any kind of alternative assets can be issued, and subsequently this can be traded into any exchanges uh, which are allowed legally to trade digital securities. The narrative is uh, once you like think of like a much more as an Amazon marketplace. Well, you go to an Amazon account and you can choose any kind of items you can think of. The same way Stockholm account is a platform where you can choose any kind of securities, you buy it, and then you can go to an exchange and you can go to any exchange you like and you can trade it. And the moment you buy those securities on the Stocker, you actually own the ownership. So Stocker does not hold your stocks. This is one of the biggest advantage here that you hold your own stocks, which a lot of people may not imagine, you know, like I think, uh, Joseph, you definitely have much more experience than me on these things. And you definitely understand like earlier you used to have the paper certificates, right? Where you used to get all the securities in a paper form. Earlier it used to be a bearer instrument and people were allowed to hold it. Now you cannot hold bearer instrument. That's what actually the digital securities are bringing. These are registered securities, legal under European law. And when you buy it, you can hold it in own ledger or any green wallet or something. And you can go to an exchange and you can trade and nobody can hold it and nobody can restrict it. And that's actually the beauty. And that's where Stoker comes into relevance is a primary issuance place. But what is the real difference between, say, holding equities or, or bonds on a normal stock exchange and holding them or, or buying them through, uh, through Stoker? So when you buy, let's say today, an Apple stock uh, and you're based in Malta, you necessarily do not own the stock. Some you're holding through a broker, broker is through a prime nominee, broker, and yeah. by a nominee. So there are a number of middlemen. So at the end of the day, what essentially you hold as an investor is just a claim. Okay. It's just a claim towards a broker. And if broker goes bankrupt or something, you take the risk. And that's what actually was stocker replaces. When you buy this kind of securities to stocker, you as an investor directly hold the securities. Therefore, you do away with all the intermediaries. Yes, you go, you do away. You don't require a custodian. You don't require nominees. You don't require transfer agents. And that creates a direct relationship between the issuer, the company that has issued the securities, and your server. There is a direct link, which currently the capital market is very hard to get. Okay. Um, therefore, uh, it should be cheaper, right? For it is cheaper because you don't require transfer agent fee, you don't require custodian fee, and also it's faster. Imagine if you have a brokerage account in, let's say you have an interactive broker or brokerage account, you want to transfer your shares to another brokerage, you sometimes may take months because it's, a, it's complex to transfer. But over here, transferring those kind of securities is just a matter of a few minutes. So it's also faster and it's also convenient for a lot of investors. But why are you restricting your operations to alternative investments? 
So currently we started, so we had to start with some focus. Uh, we focused on the alternative investment because there the returns are quite high. And also the regulatory wise is much more easier to start with the alternative investment rather than, you know, having kind of an existing treasury bills or some kind of assets immediately on, on the DLT. So we started initially with this stage, but definitely our motivation, or I would say our long-term strategy is to go to other asset classes, but it's just a starting point. And we just wanted to focus, which provides the highest amount of return to the investors and alternative asset is one of them. Okay. Therefore, if I understand well, you're finding a niche where others, other marketplaces do not, do not venture into, um, if I understand well, therefore, Going through your website, um, I could see that in order to buy the tokens, you have you can buy them in cryptos, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum, yes. etc., and stable coins. Although you can also buy them in fiat currencies, the euro, not the dollar, right? Dollars is not not allowed. Um, Right now, it's euro only. Mainly yes. because mm -hmm. of you know uh, all these uh, anti-money laundering. You know these American uh, bureaucracy and you know, all the forms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, you are encouraging um, uh, these new companies, small, medium-sized startups, to uh, raise their funds uh, through through Stocker, right? Yes. So, like when we talk about alternative investment, how Stocker started our journey is supporting these small and medium-sized companies because in Europe, 99% of the European companies are small and medium-sized companies, right? Uh, it, it's over 20 million European companies are actually small and uh, you know, there. And only if you see current statistics, only 3,000 are into the stock market. That means there's a huge number of companies that are not in the stock market. And this may be, you know, kind of family business that is operating steadily for last 15, 20 years, have a good cash flow, but this kind of companies, when they go for financing, they usually go to a bank and you know mortgage their property or something like that, and then borrow money. So our primary goal is to support those family businesses. It can be also early stage businesses like startups, uh, but much more kind of you know small and medium sized companies who raise the money not only from you know kind of investors who are investing one million, five hundred thousand, or big tickets, but also smaller tickets like you know thousand euro, five hundred euro, something. And you create a community. So that's one target. And that's where we started. But later on, we also, I would say, expanded the idea of alternative investments. We tried to get project financing. We currently have one Bitcoin mining project from Blockstream, which is kind of a project financing. Uh, we are also having one power company based in Germany that is tokenizing through us. So these are kind of category of project financing. We are also partnered with one company called Utopia to bring tokenized music fund. Like if you have... Uh, if you like some kind of specific music labels and you want to get exposed to their financial return, you can also participate in those tokenized music fund. And this kind of alternative investment assets can provide kind of a high return. As you mentioned earlier, that banks are not providing any interest. We are in a negative interest market. So investors requires an access to, I would say, kind of a high return portfolio assets. And this kind of alternative assets are perfect example. But to use Stoker, uh, you don't also necessarily need a high bank account just strength. That means you don't require to put 50,000 or 100,000. You can go as low as, you know, 100, 200 euro. And that's where the value proposition we are trying to bring in 
that you as a smaller investor can also co-participate with a bigger player at the same terms in the same instrument and uh, the same flexibility and the same information access. And that's what is unique of Stockholm. Okay, therefore, these companies, these small, medium-sized enterprises, they raise equity via Stoker, but at the same time, they are not public companies. They are raising either both equity and debt, so they can raise both. Uh, when you say they're not public companies, I would say they are pseudo-public companies because the laws under which these companies raise the capital is the same laws as they will go to an IPO. It's a European capital market laws. It is MIFID. So investors have a lot of investor protection, other kind of things. The only things which the companies have, they don't have to give away their ownership, right? They don't have to give their complete decision-making right outside. So they still have some control into the business. So I would say it's kind of a hybrid IPO here. Yeah, therefore, um, the public cannot appoint uh, a director, if I understand well. Probably the requirement to publish regular financial information or company announcements is not there. I don't know whether they need to publish a prospectus before they raise the funds. They are required to publish. Quickly highlight over here. So the companies are required to publish certain disclosure document as you uh, may not have, uh, it, it will not be as detailed as you see in the stock market, but it will be an annual ad- accounts need to be published. There will be certain disclosures if some uh, of the founders are holding certain stocks or something, there will be disclosures like that. And there is also a prospectus or offering document that need to be published with the specific guidelines from under the European, I would say the capital markets and the MIFID, whatever is mentioned. On the other hand, you also have one, uh, one thing which is critical, which I would like to highlight here. If that issuer is trying to change any terms of the investment agreement, they have to take a consent from the investors. So investors cannot be, you know, you cannot say today that I'm sharing, you know, 10% profit, tomorrow you make it 2%. If you want to do that, you have to go through consent and voting mechanisms, and which will be also more transparent and more accessible because you can participate digitally, which in not of normal companies, you cannot do it. And these are something that is the value proposition of digital securities that we are bringing on table. Okay, therefore, before uh, Stocker proposes, you know, launches these equities, Obviously, you carry out some due diligence exercise. Uh, can you please explain to us um, the procedure? So before any company, like the, that's the difference between Stockard and any crowdfunding platforms. Uh, it's not a platform where an use or company can just go and directly list their project. They have to apply to the Stockard team. They have to give all their financial details for the last years. They have to give all the KYC information of the company. And they have to also provide us the business model and relevant, you know, kind of contracts on which they are proposing those structures. But what Stockard does not do is Stockard does not go in to check and call the customers and everything because that's where we try to bring the free market. Our role is to make as much information as public as possible. And when we see, okay, basic KYC, basic informations are all, uh, you know, kind of in a proper format, we bring it to the public and then it is upon the open market to decide whether that project is uh, investable or not. And that's where I think the, the community comes into key role here. The community can ask any question without any, I would say, censorship in Twitter, in Instagram, in uh, Facebook, also on Stocker page, whatever they want. And uh, the issuer can provide them the right answer there. So it's somewhere we are taught what we're trying to do is. Now I was going to ask you whether there is a chat that you can participate in. 
And you discuss with the other investors. Yes, the company organizes the AMA session. That's Ask Me Anything sessions, uh, usually two to three times before the offering or during the offering time. So where, you know, kind of investor can ask the questions. And we also effort that every year, at least once you have an open AMA session with the founders and the investors where uh, one-to-one questions can be answered. And these kind of things will be really useful because at the end of the day, only the community wisdom can actually bring the right information to the public. No analyst can bring it. It's only the community, how they grill and how they, you know, kind of critically evaluate that they can bring in. That's what actually we would like to also structure the platform in such a way that the community can participate in that. Obviously, there there would be missing the expertise of stockbrokers um, who can grill the directors about their performance, no? I think in the initial phase, there may be this issue. But as more and more the digital securities exchange will come in and these tokens will be listed on an exchange, the public scrutiny, like you have this kind of reporting agencies, like you have this fund managers who are creating reports, this kind of things we will see more and more coming in and more and more these reports are happening. The issuers will be, I would say, careful what they're saying and they will be also have their own interest to give more information because that will have positive outcome into the stock prices or you know token prices. And this is something I think the free market should kick in as early as possible. And then only all the benefits of the free market will come in. And do do you impose a maximum uh, as a sort of loan to value ratio that is um, outside equity and, you know, the owner's uh, stake? So right now we don't have, uh, what we do is internally we analyze whether the amount that they're currently raising is something outrageous or not. This is based on their projections, based on their current revenue model and everything. We don't have a standard fixed uh, because you don't have a collateral. These are not collateralized loans. So it's very hard to do a loan to value ratio. But what we see is a similar companies, how much the valuations are, what they're raising. We will not definitely lay, raise and uh, let raise an early stage companies raise 150 million. And, you know, this is something outrageous somehow on the market. So we try to do follow some best practice before it goes live. Also, we try to see uh, whether there is already some existing angel investors and kind of anchored investors with them, because that really gives kind of a stability, a confirmation. Yes, some kind of confirmation comes that uh, also stability comes that somebody is really looking into the financial metrics from an investor point of view. So we try to balance this, you know, balance between the investor's interest and the balance between the venture's interest. And we try to play and get the best out of. I'm asking you this question market. because it's easy to <laughs> to risk uh, money which is not yours. Uh, <laughs> therefore, uh, obviously, you have to have a lot of skin in the game, as they say. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, with regards to your setup, um, I have seen quite an impressive list of uh, stuff, uh, top executives that you have. And uh, it's interesting to know how uh, your setup works and which are the key areas that uh, promote your business and give it the propulsion. So the setup means the regulatory structure that we use or? No, no, your your human resources setup. Uh, Okay. So currently we are a very small team. Uh, It's a 12-member team operating from Luxembourg and uh, Germany. And our main focus is currently to put all the tech currently in-house. Also, all the regulatory staffs and the compliance team is in-house. Uh, and this is something like because Stoker uh, believes in a philosophy that we don't want to scale too early before we understand our market fit. 
And as at the moment, currently, we have um, somewhere reached our market fit where we are trying to understand is which part we would like to scale. And that's where we are going. So we are trying to keep our team as compact and as um, short as possible because the market where we are working is very much highly skilled. So we also require people who are also very much knowledgeable in the space. So where our hiring is very conservative in this case at the moment, you might think of. Okay. Um, uh, when it comes um, to pay for, for the tokens, there are some countries we've heard recently, you know, the case of China that, uh, you know, every so often emphasize that uh, dealing in cryptos is illegal and all this. Therefore, what happens if, if you have uh, somebody from China who have invested? What happens then uh, if he pays in, in crypto, for, for example? So on Stalker, uh, this is something like every security token uh, is being issued to an investor once the investor does a KYC. So this is, uh, we have to, by regulatory reason, we have to do KYC on every investor. And certain countries are not allowed to invest. And one of them is definitely US uh, because of regulatory reasons. Also China, from mainland China, investors cannot invest, but definitely from Hong Kong, Taiwan, investors can come in. And our compliance team usually checks uh, each profile thoroughly, be it individual, be it a company before they can invest. So as long as the compliance uh, does not accept the profile, they cannot go and proceed with the investment, be it investment in fiat currencies or be it the investment in cryptocurrencies. And talking about uh, Know Your Client procedures, what kind of questions do you ask? And one of typical of the typical ones is the source of wealth. Yes. How do you deal with that? So we have like a there are different layers of the KYC policies here. We have a comprehensive KYC policy and as a stopper, as an entity, we are also an obliged uh, to do AML KYC under Luxembourgish law. And also we are obliged under the French law as because we are agent of a payment institution in France. So we have a comprehensive AML anti-money laundering and KYC policy under which we have different layers. And uh, like, for example, the know your customers, then you have the source of wealth and other stuffs. And it depends, like uh, there is no straight jacket formula on how we evaluate this, you know, source of wealth. It depends on what convinces our compliance team, what they feel, okay, until this information we are fine. So it depends very much on the investors, case by case basis, also the volume of investments we are talking and the method of currencies in which they are investing in. So there are a number of factors that is look, being looked into for that. Okay. Therefore, if I buy these investments uh, through Bitcoin, for example, and then they are adopted by another stock exchange and then I can sell fiat currency, I, I, I presume, no? At the end of the day, what we do is we connect your investment with your currency. So the moment you come on Stocker, you create a Stocker account. We see, okay, this is the account of Joseph. Joseph is a resident of this region. He has this profession, his details and blah, blah, blah. And he's investing in this currency. And whenever we are seeing, okay, this investment is currency in this currency, let's say in Bitcoin, we see where the Bitcoin is coming from. And if there is any background uh, issue with the Bitcoin that uh, you know came through, as long as these are clear, we are perfectly fine. But if there is any issue that we see, we ask for more information till the time our compliance team gets satisfied. This sometimes becomes a little bit, you know, kind of uh, intrusive, and you can also call it, it sometimes become more com complex for a lot of investors. But that we have to do it so other investors can, uh, you know, be in the safe hands because. In any kind of regulatory questioning or something, we need to have all those answers ready because we are not based in some uh, kind of unknown jurisdiction. We are operating from Europe and we need to follow all the existing rules of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. 
And do I need to have a bank account uh, in, in the European Union to invest? You don't necessarily. If you are investing in crypto, you don't require a bank account in Europe. But if you're investing in fiat currencies like euro, you need because uh, in that case, your uh, money need to come from a European bank account. Okay. Okay. Therefore, you've been set up since 2017, more or less. Um, okay. Therefore, a new investor. What kind of returns would or should he expect to get? Now, we've passed through a year of COVID. Many companies suffered. Some others benefited, um, but the majority suffered. What kind of returns have you seen? And do I understand well that uh, it's like a mezzanine kind of investment? Therefore, it would be part interest and part return on your shares? Mm-hmm. It's the, there are two kinds of instruments currently on Stalker. Uh, one kind of instrument, we call it uh, right to future profit. And the other kind of instrument is right to future revenue. And these two instruments have two kinds of returns, right? In the first kind of return, where we are talking about right to future profits, it's kind of a dividend right you can think of. Where companies give away right to future dividend without giving you any voting right or ownership right. And uh, like early stage companies are mostly using this as an instrument. And there, the return you can expect is much more in some multiples because at the end of the day, early stage startups uh, either will fail or they will do a high level exit, right? Very few companies will go for an IPO or, you know, kind of a profit dividend distribution phase. But where investors can expect kind of a buyback at a higher multiples, it can be 5x, it can be 6x or something like that. Or there is a trade, secondary trading happening and uh, because of speculation, some price appreciation can happen. These are the two ways. And this depends definitely on the performance in the industry where they're in. And also, as you mentioned, in you know, kind of a post-COVID, it is also about how the business is doing. And you can definitely expect a similar kind of like return that you can get from an equity instrument, but at a higher multiples. But you also have a higher risk here because early stage startups can also fail. So you... Ideally, you should not put all your investment in one basket, but somehow uh, diversify. The second one is the right to future revenues. This instrument is somewhere which we consider is more suitable for an existing business with a positive cash flow, or at least, you know, kind of a decent cash flow. While investors get a percentage, a fixed percentage of return. For example, uh, I would like to give here is Blockstream Mining. This is a three years note. It's kind of a three year dev instrument where whatever bitcoin is mined for a period of three years minus the expenses of managing the luxembourg entity will be given to the investors so here investors can be very clear okay the revenues are because like i I think you also know very clearly that it's very easy to manipulate profit because profit is subjective right you can add a lot of cost and make your profit zero but it's very hard to manipulate revenue because revenue is fixed it's there you can see from your uh, balance sheet very easily and this blockstream mining note is kind of a typical example of a revenue participation right where company, investors have a right to a specific income stream. Here, the 100% of revenue minus a cost and they get it everything after three years. And after three years, all the interest and the principal is paid at the maturity. So we consider this as a variable interest rather than as a fixed interest for those kind of debt instrument. And that's actually the benefit also for a lot of issuers because issuers doesn't have to commit for 6%, 7% or something. They commit to, let's say, X percent of the revenue. And as revenues goes up and down, 
investors take the risk and also the issuers take the risk because if revenues go up, investors get paid more. If it goes down, investors take the risk. That's how we are trying to balance. So you can expect this kind of instrument can have a very uh, competitive return. It depends on definitely Bitcoin mining instrument may have a higher return expectation than maybe a small and medium-sized company that is working in the parking industry, like we had one with Parking Go. So it depends in which industry you're talking about. And based on that, your returns can be significantly higher or significantly lower. But if, if one of these companies goes belly up and uh, it goes into liquidation, mm-hmm. the ranking of the shareholders, is it the same or um, the shareholders who would have bought through your uh, platform get some kind of preference in the liquidation? So it. it- it depends on the companies to companies, right? We could not do it standardized because whenever a company comes to us, sometimes they have existing, I would say, loans, which in ranking in priority. So we cannot take that down. But if it's a, not a new company, we try to bring those loans in priority or, you know, it, it doesn't require to be kind of a worthless instrument, to be honest. This is something what we try to do when we are structuring an instrument that we try to give the maximum value. If we see, okay, no, these are subordinate loans and then it's somehow, you know, kind of a lower priority, we try to um, adjust that based on the percentage of the returns or something. This is something, an exercise that we usually take. And do you insist that these companies are audited by uh, top firms? Yeah. Yes, we do insist because it it depends also on volume. Like if a company has raised, you know, 1 million or something, uh, they may not be able to get it audited by a big four because the cost may not permit but it depends like if there's a bigger projects as for you know kind of bitcoin mining and those kind of things where larger volumes we definitely you know kind of uh, push on this thing that there should be an auditing and that's also commercially makes sense so it's it's about commercial interest right because if a return is something around fifty thousand that they're trying to give to the investors and the audit firm charges twenty thousand at the end of the day investors lose money substantially so we try to balance that this is all very interesting. Now I would like to take the blockstream mining note, which is a very crypto related project and maybe take what we've discussed and put it into practice as to how it would work here. So with blockstream mining note, what are the investors getting when they put in their investment? At, and there's a minimum of 200,000 euro, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. So blockstream mining uh, was structured for at the moment, a little bit professional investors, uh, because uh, like considering the fact like a lot of these mining contracts are very high volume, like 1 million or something like that. So 200,000 is also significantly quite lower, uh, but it's still not for retail investors. You cannot invest with 100, 200 dollars at the moment. So what the investors are actually getting, as I mentioned, is a percentage of the revenue, right? That means whatever Bitcoin is mined using that money that has been raised, which is also kind of considered as a prepaid mining contract. Uh, so all the mining costs are already covered within the contract itself. So whatever Bitcoin is mined, minus the Luxembourg entity's management cost, which is less than 1% uh, in the entire life cycle. So it's uh, whatever Bitcoin is mined minus the cost actually goes to the investor. And one interesting thing is what investors get is actually the Bitcoin that has in mind. So it's not a Bitcoin equivalent euro. So this Bitcoin, as and when it's mined, they are being hold under the entity that is uh, that, that has been structured in such a way that the entity actually holds the Bitcoin, and this Bitcoin is being distributed to the investors after the end of the life cycle of the instrument. That is after the end of the maturity. 
that gives the investors first of all an exposure to a greater amount of bitcoin being mined based on the hash rate and other kind of things but also investors get uh, a value proposition because they they don't have to hold it in their custody so they don't have to pay the custodian fees for 3 years and the second thing they also get the bitcoins uh, price up cycles and down cycles over the period of 3 years which is quite interesting in my opinion compared to other bitcoin mine bitcoin funds which you can call it as a hodl fund because in those funds while bitcoins go and they just stay there nothing do you do not necessarily increase the bitcoin unless you buy more bitcoin but here bitcoins as they're getting mined they effectively increase the stack so it's kind of a uh you can call it a bitcoin fixed interest structure where the bitcoin keeps on accumulating inside the instrument and could you explain how the price differs because i've seen on the listing there's a chart showing how it would have been sometimes better sometimes worse investing in mining versus just hodling bitcoin how is the difference how does the difference come about So uh, right now the Bitcoin, uh, this mining node has a structured base on the hash rate. So we can also call it Bitcoin mining uh, hash rate node because what uh, there is a nominal hash rate that uh, is being somewhere being committed by the issuer here, the blockstream. And this hash rate, as you know, it's also fluctuates. So the number of Bitcoins that will be issued depends, and there's direct correlation with the hash rate. That is the reason I think the, the return you see quite different. also it uh, goes on the price of the bitcoin because uh, bitcoin is also volatile at the moment so it it also changes based on the hash rate is based on the prices and also the access to the equipments like right? right because uh, equipment usually that's the reason also to structure it as a 3 year because it is expected that the instrument or the equipment will have its high efficiency for a period of 3 years after 3 years the efficiency starts declining so it's better the investors get exposed till the time there is a higher efficiency that is the reason it also structured as a 3 year instrument so all these factors as i mentioned the hash rate the bitcoin volatility as well as the mining equipments efficiency this makes a lot of uh, difference and the, the the price gets affected because of that mm-hmm. and and interesting when people invest they will get erc20 tokens right not really so when the people invest so this is not issued on ethereum uh this is issued on the liquid network that is a sidechain of bitcoin uh, developed by blockstream and so this is completely issued into the bitcoin infrastructure and the investors when they get the return they actually get the return in bitcoin itself not in euro or any other tether or any other currencies but they get in bitcoin itself but they will still hold some tokens representing their investment Yes uh, so at the end of the maturity all the bitcoin and mining notes bmn will be redeemed so all the tokens have to be given back to the issuer and you get the payouts in bitcoin and then the instrument is over so in the meantime you hold tokens and where what what wallets are compatible with the liquid blockchain? so liquid is a green wallet so that's uh, the blockstream green that's the wallet where you can hold the liquid assets and this is where you hold the securities you can actually also trade those so right now also there is some exchange discussion happening how these tokens can be traded but also interesting things that is being discussed upon you can also use that blockstream mining node as a collateral because at the end of the day this bitcoin mining node is uh, bitcoin synthetic so it can be used as a collateral and you can also borrow money and i think blockstream team is also working at the moment on how this kind of asset can be used as a collateral and that can be very interesting because this this will really shape the synthetic layer of the bitcoin 
which will create a new era of uh, i would say financial markets itself mm -hmm. yeah that, that would be it's, it's a new thing so it's a bit hard to wrap wrap your head around yeah. how everything works but also so let's say i buy the tokens i have the liquid tokens and then one year in i want to sell them how does is there transparency as to what rewards have been earned in mining? Because that would, I imagine, affect the price of the tokens when I come to sell them, right? I would need to factor that into the price. Yes. So you can think of like, uh, first and foremost, the transparency, right? This is something like um, there will be one dedicated page where you will be able to see whatever Bitcoin is mined and whatever Bitcoin is accumulated on the BMN node, which will be very much transparent because Nothing can be hide here, right? Everything is transferred, right? Mm -hmm. Which mining pool is used, what is being returned and everything. And the other layer, what you can think of, like say, for example, you buy the BMN. In the second year, you may want a liquidity. You can go to a lending platform. You can use it as a collateral, borrow the money, use the money for certain things. And let's say uh, you somehow got uh, before the beginning or the end of the second year, you somehow got access to some liquidity. You pay back the money. So you uh, get the collateral released and on the third year, you get your maturity, uh, I would say payout. And this is a very interesting, in that case, what you have to do, you can necessarily did not, does not need to sell those token. You just can, can use it as a collateral. But if you want to sell it, you can also go to an exchange. You can also sell it on an exchange market, but you can also sell it on an OTC desk. So there are a number of possibilities how you can get a liquidity of this instrument in this three-year period. When we talk about collateral, though, like a platform like BlockFi would need necessarily to accept uh, the BMN as collateral before you can do that. Yes. Yeah. And and do you anticipate that happening? Just uh, wondering whether you already had some discussions with these platforms, BlockFi, Ledin, and the rest. So right now, I know Blockstream team is just in discussion with few of such platforms. Uh, and I think the, uh, the discussions are currently going quite interesting because, uh, this, at the end of the day, this kind of platforms also have interest to get more Bitcoin exposure. And this kind of synthetic assets can give them the such Bitcoin exposure because you get also multiple Bitcoin sitting under this uh, instrument. So it's quite positive at the moment, but let's see that uh, there is no official announcement. So we have to wait mm -hmm. till something comes out. Okay. And, uh, so at the time of final redemption. Is it a manual process where the investors would need to send their BMNs to a particular address and then they would get their original investment plus the accumulated Bitcoin? So how the process will be structured, it will be via stocker. So because issuer knows who are their investor at any given point of time, that's the beauty of digital securities that the blockstream will know who are holding their token at any point of time, 365 days, 2057. And before any distribution happens in case of maturity, there will be a notification being given seven to 10 days before that, hey, on these days, the maturity will reach and you can redeem it. And in that case, those who want to redeem, they simply send the token and there will be a process where there will be a swap the moment you give the token, kind of an atomic swap structure. You give the token and you get the Bitcoin in your wallet and in your green wallet directly will be given the access to the Bitcoin. Okay. So as with Bitcoin, if you lose your keys you've lost your investment you've got that risk yes it, you have uh, the risk okay so you cannot lose your securities legally right so as long as you're holding bmn and you lose it 
legally we can help you to recover because you cannot lose your stocks or securities but the moment you receive the payouts and the payouts are in bitcoin or in tether this we cannot help you recover so what we can help you recover is just the securities before the maturity that's interesting so you're saying there's no risk with the holding itself of the bmn token no and and that's how we structure and as joseph mentioned like there are a lot of people who are afraid to access such instrument because of this risk this is something being reduced because legally you don't uh, lose it and when you lose it you can always come back to stoker and ask for recovery we do a kyc check and we see okay you are the right person as of the last holding and then we help you to recover that okay so there's only the benefits of being able to transfer it and own it to do whatever you want with it but there's no downside like in bitcoin yes, where you can totally, just yeah. lose everything yeah interesting okay and in terms of taxation i know it's specific to every country but is there some general guidelines on how these rewards and atomic swaps will be seen by the authorities yes i think in this case um, these instruments are very straightforward capital market instruments so you just uh, come under very straightforward you know capital gains or income tax and those kind of things because these are securities right at the end of the day now when the payouts are happening in bitcoin this depends on the country to country but how we will do it we will provide the values so the moment the amounts are going out we will calculate the euro equivalent and that will be actually the amount that we will put it like okay you are getting this euro equivalent amount of bitcoin so from the tax perspective you get a fixed price because if you give in price to bitcoin this will be much more complex so we will give an euro equivalent but at the end of the, the bitcoin is actually going to you but we just calculate if you require a tax statement or something that in which value we came in we can give you in the euro equivalent but we are quite flexible because this is also we are learning on its way so we would be mm -hmm. quite flexible to support any users on the platform and we will try to assist them with any information they require yeah it will be quite interesting to see how each country will treat the final distribution whether it's interest or i guess capital gains as well or or even an airdrop maybe no it will Depends. not be an airdrop it will be mm -hmm. something like this uh, because at the end of the day, this is a debt instrument so it's uh, just uh, uh based on the also you need to also see like what will be the double taxation treaties between the luxembourg and that country and the withholding but nothing will be deducted in luxembourg it will be deducted at the hand of the investors there so investors have to take it definitely we will guide them before the maturity we also have a plan to find few main jurisdictions and we give them some kind of uh, understanding like we cannot give a tax advice but what we can give them kind of a small guidance but this we will do somewhere before the maturity happens is there a parallel though with the traditional markets on how something like this would work in terms of the taxation or rewards it's like a bond like uh, in, in the parallel market how we will treat as uh, you know interest of the bond because the principal uh, plus interest because in bond it much more the tax comes on the interest so you just have to see what will be the taxable incidence and how we will treat this in, in like the tax on the interest because so, so the swap it, itself i think is not really very important here the final no, swap no no okay it's just from the technical side it's quite interesting and it's quite intriguing but from a taxation perspective i think much more it's uh, it's kind of a normal interest like how much you charge on the interest payouts mm -hmm. now you mentioned that there i saw that you had an article about equity vs crowdfunding a lot of these projects that you're listing here i've seen on other 
platforms in Europe, but usually always on the crowdfunding from a crowdfunding aspect. Could you again highlight the differences between the two? So Stalker is not a crowdfunding platform because uh, most of the time the crowdfunding platforms uh, where you see there is a nominee that uh, crowdfunding platforms actually collect the money and then they give to the company. So you have a direct relationship with the crowdfunding. In the Stalker case, we are not the middleman. We create the Luxembourgish entity for the issuers or the companies and the investors have a direct relationship with the issuer. So we don't act as a middleman. So let's say tomorrow Stoker goes bankrupt. You as an investor's interest is still alive and your company's relationship with you is still there because you don't necessarily need Stoker and Stoker is not a middleman here. I think that's one of the biggest difference. The second difference is uh, Stoker use the MIFID structure that is a capital market loss. So all the instruments that are issued on Stoker or issued through Stoker can be listed in an existing stock market legally. There may be a lot of, you know, kind of listing requirements and those kind of things, but legally these are MIFID instruments that makes it quite easily integratable into any secondary market of existing stock market, considering the fact they are technologically that well advanced that they can list those uh, assets. So these are the two main difference from the crowdfunding platform to Stocker. And Stocker is also somehow, it's much more in the capital markets, right? We never try to avoid the capital markets. Well, a lot of crowdfunding um, marketplaces uh, in Europe, they try to avoid the capital market. And that's, I think, the third one, which I would like to highlight. These are the main differences, but definitely I think the value of crowdfunding market is also there. It's definitely one of the most, and some of the features of Stocker also came from the crowdfunding. So we definitely appreciate what they have given. But what we try to do is a merge between the crowdfunding and the private equity market and trying to create a new platform, which is much more inclusive and much more accessible for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. And with regards to a bit more technical question, I think you're using Ethereum for the other uh, listings that you have, right? So currently we have uh, listings mostly on the liquid. Uh, we started with Ethereum, but uh, as you know, with the gas fees explosion yeah, and others, it somehow became, getting, it? yes, it's, it somehow became unusable at the moment. We also published a paper a few, like I think one and a half month back, like how currently Ethereum is not, uh, not like you, you cannot necessarily use Ethereum at the moment because of the high gas fees. Imagine you are investing in $50 and you pay $15 in transaction fees. It doesn't make sense. So that's where actually liquid comes in. And we are also integrating Algorand at the moment. That's also somewhere, you know, low cost transaction fees where the, also you can have a high throughput and those kind of things. So, yeah, we have uh, been quite careful in observing how Ethereum uh, develops. And I think there is a quite a lot of messy situation coming with Ethereum 2.0 and all this proof of stake and everything. But we hope once things get stable, because still there is a lot of community activities going on there. But at, at the moment, there are no projects that are coming on Ethereum in the coming months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I imagine you would want something very stable as an underlying technology, given what we're investing. We're investing for three years ahead or, or more. Yes. So, yeah, very interesting. I think one interesting, I would say, as a wish list is also like for exchanges and other players. Uh, I think Ethereum integration is quite easier. So most of the exchanges usually do it pretty fast uh, rather than, you know, taking the effort to integrate a layer two of Bitcoin or some other much more comparatively faster chains. And that's why I see very few exchanges like Bitfinex has liquid, but very few exchanges have liquid, right? This is something I think exchanges also need to look into this market and integrate more and more the solutions which provide 
you know, issuers an opportunity to go outside Ethereum or else we will lose a lot of value unnecessarily on the gas fees, which necessarily can stay with the investors or the ecosystem. Yeah, on the other hand, I think platforms like yours are finally bringing use cases for technologies like Liquid, which would drive the adoption. So I think that's a good thing from that point of view, isn't it? Totally. I think I, I think it's just chicken and egg, right? Exchange will say there is no asset, so we will not integrate. Mm -hmm. And uh, somebody has to solve this issue and somebody has to start it. And that's where we took the effort of integrating the liquid. We did, I think we're currently the only platform that is issuing securities on liquid. And also uh, issuances on Ethereum is also not that big. And European market is also quite smaller. And with the current Blockstream and Infinite Fleet, we see there is a significant amount of assets have been already issued on liquid at the moment. And we would like to, you know, take this momentum forward. And yeah, we, we are also quite excited because one interesting thing, which uh, which is one of our hypotheses was that Green Wallet was quite complex and hard for a lot of people to use. Uh, Blockstream team has also upgraded the Green Wallet quite a lot in the last couple of months. And we saw a lot of people actually pretty much well understand how the Green Wallet works. And they are also quite, and this is not about, you know, kind of a specific age group. I've also seen people uh, and the 50 years, 60 years of age group, they're also kind of understanding this liquid and how it works. So we are quite positive that in future, this non-custodial wallet mode will be in high demand and people will really understand the real value of not your key, not your Bitcoin concept. And more and more people will have this non-custodial wallet in usage. Mm -hmm. And you can also store them on the Blockstream Jade, I imagine. Jade right now does not support uh, this liquid securities or the liquid assets. But I know they are working, so in future, definitely this can be done. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Is there a further relationship between Blockstream and Stalker beyond the usage of Liquid and the BMN? Not at the moment, but we definitely want to bring more and more Bitcoin assets on the platform. Definitely, we are looking also in a way how to bring this Blockstream mining node for retail uh, for much more accessible. We would like to you know bring it because our aim was to bring it first to see how the market reacts, how the market interest is. And based on that, we can go and take a longer battle with the regulators, bring those mark, uh, instruments in the market. But definitely that is something in our pipeline at the moment. Mm -hmm. And with regards to the tranches, this is num tranche number one of the, so I imagine there will be others. There will be multiple tranches, yeah. Do you yeah. anticipate having lower token prices for the, for the ones further ahead or? I cannot comment at the moment. Yeah. This depends definitely on the Blockstream as an issuer. Uh, but definitely, they are, I know they are considering a lot of uh, options. And also, you see the Bitcoin price is getting down and the hash rates getting a little bit uh, changed. So they may look into that, but I cannot yeah. necessarily say anything Makes like that. Sense. Okay. So my, I think my dad has some other questions. Arnap, I was uh, reading that you are very well capitalized. And uh, as recently as last March, you raised uh, another 4 million euros in equity from three heavyweights, I would say, institutional investors. Can you please explain um, the use of funds? Uh, the total funding amount that you mentioned is collectively in all the rounds that we have raised because our founders also put around 1 million into the business because we really believe in what we are doing and also... We have quite some interesting partners uh, with us in this journey. Uh, our main usage of fund currently is supporting all these issuers because uh, how we do it, we support the companies in the initial phase. They help and help them 
do the STO. And once they are successful, then only we get paid. So we have to somehow finance our operations. And that's where all the most of the usage of the funds are currently uh, like being used. On the other side, we are also developing the platform very actively, both from the investor convenience side, integrating different kind of payment gateways, integrating different ways of investments, you know, bring kind of think of like integrating the existing capital markets into a DLT. And this takes a heavy lifting from a tech side. So there, uh, there is also significant amount of resource being uh, deployed. Also, we have launched an affiliate program recently. So we are also working on different, different marketing activities of Stalker, which can help to create the community because at the end of the day, it's all about a community of the investors. And we are also kind of focusing on that. So these are three main things where we are currently focusing. But at the moment, our main uh, goal, and this is something what we have done is we have not raised huge amount of money in the last couple of years because we wanted to really go step by step. But we see there is a market coming where we will be in high demand. So for that, we will then decide if we want to go for a bigger round. And we always want to have strategic investors. And that's what actually our focus was, not just an investor only, but a strategic investor. But maybe a future STO stocker, maybe also on table because we also want to value and involve our community in what we are doing in future. Yeah, so in fact, I was going to ask you about your future plans. Yes, in future, we are looking for a bigger fundraising, but we only want to raise money once we have a clear vision and we see where we can really scale. And we would also like to involve in the next financing round our community because we have also a very strong growing community of the users at the moment on the platform. And we would also like to let them uh, join the stocker opportunities. Therefore, does it mean that uh, Stocker is an investor as well? At the moment, not. At the moment, Stocker does not invest in any of the projects that are being on the platform because we don't have the fund to do it. Uh, but in future, maybe we will have some structures that uh, would like to do the follow-on investments at certain specific uh, rounds. But this is something for that we have to do a fundraising, which we are currently contemplating. But right now, there is no decision yet on that. Or perhaps some underwriting activities? We do not do the underwriting at the moment. Uh, definitely, there are some third-party service providers who are doing the underwriting with whom we partner because I think it's much more important that the underwriters are from the industry in which they belong because we may not necessarily understand, you know, kind of a shipping industry or maybe from an energy sector. So we usually partner with an existing underwriters who are already active in the space. Therefore, my last question would be, if I am a prospective investor, um, why should I choose you? You do not choose Stalker. That's a very interesting thing. What you choose is the instrument in which you want to invest. And that's the reason is when you come to invest in the blockstream mining, you necessarily need to know only the blockstream mining and their return. Stalker is just a meme of how you invest. Like Think of like when you choose an Amazon, you do not choose because you love Amazon. You love the product that is there on the Amazon, which you want to buy. That's the thing. Our main role is to find the right assets, which is providing a good return which is kind of a secure and also can provide kind of a stable uh, like cash flow return or something like that. That's what actually we are doing. And on the other side, we are trying to also reduce our middleman role because we don't want to be a middleman in the space. Well, that's what I mentioned over here is we are not acting like a middleman that you have seen the crowdfunding. We reduce our middleman role. So you have a more and more direct relationship with the issuers. Our role only comes is all the convenience. So whenever you are trying to buy, whenever you're doing the KYC, whenever trying to interact. All the convenience gateways are managed to stalker, and that's where our role is. My final question, your income, is it derived from success fees? 
our income is derived from the success fee of the issuer. We do not charge anything from the investors at all. Okay, that's great. <laughs> so it's all connected. So as long as the issuer is able to convince the investors and as long as the issuer really provides a value, we get paid. And that's how we try to, you know, connect our skin in the game. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that, uh, thank you very much, Arna, for being with us. I, I'm really excited as someone who's interested in crypto and also have a long history with crowdfunding and P2P lending. This is like a new innovation that I'm really excited about. And although it's new and I'm sure it's been very challenging legally and even marketing wise, I hope that this new way of raising money um, succeeds because I like all the fundamental principles you, you mentioned. So thank you, Arna, for joining us in this very interesting episode. So for people who want to invest or just check out your platform, how can they find you? Thank you, Joseph. And thank you, John, for inviting me. If uh, you are interested to learn more about Stalker, please go to www.stalker.io, S-T-O-K-R.io. Uh, you can also write me an email at arnab at the rate stocker.io. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you again, Arnab. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as usual, I ask you to leave a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show and all the other shows we've produced so far. Please let us know if there is any other topic that you'd like us to tackle or platform to review we're very open for hearing from you your opinions whether you like the shows we're producing and yeah just if you if you've been listening to this show for the past few episodes or it's the first episode that you listen we'd really really appreciate if you could even just get in touch and tell us how you're finding it what you'd like us to improve and things like that so the email is podcast at mastermind.fm again podcast at mastermind.fm and you can also find find us on twitter at mastermind.fm that's it for today from us and see you in the next episode